Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? Doing pretty good, Richie. What's going on, man? Oh, man, you know, you and I just got back from uh, a Miami meeting. And for those of you who don't know, Miami is a, a local, uh, we don't call it a user group. We call it a community um, where we go and have hear presentations and have a community uh, conversation about, uh, well, .NET. Yeah, and, you know, tonight was, this was what, like the fifth anniversary of .NET Miami, right? So this is five yeah. years of community, of great talks, of great great conversations in general, man. And um. I'm definitely, I'm definitely proud of, of what the community's turned out to. I'm definitely glad that everybody came out and, you know, we had a lot of good time and there was cupcakes. So that's even better. And right? Yeah. We had amazing cupcakes, uh, <laughs> key lime pie cupcakes, sure. and s'mores cupcakes, Snickers cupcakes. I mean, it was just ridiculous amount of cupcakes we had, you know, but, uh, you know, I, being one of the, the, the founders of .NET Miami, it's just crazy for me to, to think back to five and a half years ago when there was four guys just sitting in a Buffalo Wild Wings, just talking about what it would take to start a user group and what kind of user group we want and uh, what kind of, what would our ideal user group be? And why would people actually fight Miami traffic just to go hear some people talk about .NET? That sounds kind of crazy. Right. But five years later, I guess we're doing something right because we just had our 60th meeting. (laughs) Yeah, man. And it was it was a good time, man. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what happens for 2017 for the group. Yep, yep. And um, if you don't happen to have a local user group in your area, you know, I highly recommend starting one. There's a, there was a lot of great things that have come out of uh, Dynamite Miami. And this podcast actually is one of them, as well as Tech Night at the Ballpark, another event that we help um, run at Marlin Stadium. And uh, just so many great things have, have happened, not just friendships, but uh, uh, so many great projects happen just because people have started talking through the local community at Dot in Miami. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's very humbling for me. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Here's to five more years, man. Five yeah, more years. Five more years. Let's have more <laughs> cupcakes. That's what I'm saying. More cupcakes. <laughs> so who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Luis Atencio. So Luis is a staff software engineer for Citrix Systems in Fort Lauderdale. Um, he has a bachelor's and a master's degree in computer science. And he now works full-time developing and architecting web applications using Java, PHP, and the JavaScript platforms. Luis is also very involved in the community and has presented at several occasions at conferences and at local meetups. Lewis is also the author of Functional Programming in JavaScript, Functional PHP, as well as the co-author for RxJS in Action. Man, that's a lot of stuff, dude. This guy has a lot of books, man. Like he's, you know, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little, a little jealous a little bit, man. I might need to start writing some books too. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna write a book. <laughs> I'm not jealous of that. It's not me. It takes a while to write a book, to... though, right? Like it takes like a year, year and a half sometimes to. to to get a book yeah, done. Yeah, you know, you know, and you don't want me writing a book. It's it's, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> this episode is recorded on December 9th, 2016, and now our conversation with Luis Atencio. 
And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. So for today's episode of Away From The Keyboard, we'd like to welcome Luis Atencio. So Luis, why don't you introduce yourself really quickly to our listeners? Hey guys. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Luis Atencio. I'm a developer at Citrix Systems, um, part of the cloud engineering team. Um, what I do is basically uh, I fiddle a lot with a lot of uh, PHP, a lot of Java, a lot of JavaScript, and uh, that's where, I, where I've been spending most of my time lately, uh, around the Java and JavaScript side. I'm always interested to know, were you, did you always want to be a programmer? Like, prior to going to college, did you know, hey, this is what I want to do, or did it kind of just, you know, did it kind of grow on you eventually, like, when you were in school? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Um, I uh, grew up, so I grew up in Venezuela, and um, one of the things that I got to be, ex- uh, to be exposed there was a lot of math. We did a lot of math in school. Um, and I'm like, you know, I like this stuff. I like math and uh, I, I enjoyed the, the science. I joined, you know, I was, you know, a geek up in the making. Um, and I, so I saw that and, and then we started to, you know, a lot of friends of mine started to, you know, they, they, bought, they got some new computers. I, I wasn't really in that, in that wave yet. Um, one of my cousins was like, guys, computer is the future. You know, he, he always said that, uh, this is an older cousin that I have. And I'm like, nah, come on, what are you talking about? I, I love to play soccer and I'm like, let me get out. I'm not going to be inside a room. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was kind of, you know, it just kind of was always around me, but I never, you know, never embraced it. And so towards the end of, uh, uh, you know, high school and around that time, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I like math. And so I like engineering. And so through engineering, I said, well, what type of engineering do I like? And, and, uh, you know, growing up in Venezuela, well, if you're doing mechanical engineering, you're, you're, you're going to be fixing cars and doing some, some stuff like that. I'm like, nah, that's not what I want to do. And so I just picked an engineering that was kind of like um, using a lot of the, the theory and the science and the math. And, and I'm like, you know what? Computer science makes sense. Um, I didn't, uh, so I didn't go to uh, um, university or, or, or college level um, school in Venezuela. It went, I came here in 2001. And I went, well, you know what, now, now that I'm in this country, might as well go computer science all the way. And I just kind of fell in love with it after that. You know, I think we had one other guest I know we had in the past that was from Venezuela. Um, that was uh, Arturo, right? Arturo Real. And, you know, he had an interesting story, too. I mean, do you still have family back there in, um, in the country? So aside from, you know, a few, few uncles and cousins here, uh, very few, fortunately, you know, my parents decided to come over here. I, when, when that decision was made, I was too young to make it. You know, I was in school. Sure. I was like, you know, I have my friends and we would play. You know, and it, it, it hadn't gotten that bad yet. Um, this was around 2000, right? Um, Chavez was already in there a couple of years. And it, things weren't really, you know, they were starting to spin out out of control, but not, not, not quite there yet. And, then, and, you know, the country just took a turn for the worse uh, a few years after that. And, I'm very thankful, you know, for that decision that was made on my behalf. You know, I had, I was obviously opposing it, you know, at that point because I didn't know any better. I was ignorant of everything that was happening. Um, but you know, so thankful that that happened, and and you know, I'm I'm here now, and and right. So looking back, it's just like, oh my God. I mean, what would have my life been, right, if I would have stayed? Um, I have no idea, you know. And so, so yeah, the, the the short answer is yeah, a lot of families there, and but I'm just glad that you know we were able to get out in time. One of the things I could say about the few Venezuelans that I actually do know is that you guys take that that hardship and everything that's happening in the country and you kind of turn it into a camaraderie and a, a closeness, 
of a community here in the United States. And that's something that I really find is very interesting. Like you guys are very tight knit and you guys are very helpful with each other and support each other a lot, which I think is very important. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it gives us all a, a topic in common to talk about, right? So <laughs> you, we kind of jumpstart and you kind of just off the bat, you agree on what's happening. And so when, when, when that happens, you know, you get that mutual agreement off the bat. Um, it kind of gives you that, you know, you build a relationship because you say, well, I, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, I'm sure your family and my family are living the same exact conditions. And so, um, you know, it just, it just naturally builds that bond, right? There's nothing that separates us because we have that thing in common. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's where it, it happens. And that's where, that's why this forms. And, and so the whole idea of, well, of, hey, man, you're also from that same place. Let's help each other out. You know, let's try to do something. Um, it could very be so small. It's just, you know, here's my phone number. We'll, we'll, we'll talk, you know, or it could go up to, you know what, I'm, I'm a manager of this, you know, startup. I can, you know, what do you know how to do? I can, let's work on it. Right. Um, you know, things like that happen naturally, right. Just because you have that, that thing in common. And Louis, you also have children too, right? Um, my wife is expecting, we're expecting our first, first child, oh, um, a little well, baby boy next year. Yeah. Thanks man. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. Yeah, it's, it's, That's awesome. This, thank you, Sass. And, and yeah, this, this thing is all like, you know, <laughs> craziness is about to, like, I, I already see it, you know, from everybody that just tells me, you know, every day I get it, right? Every day it's like, well, sleep now. And, and you know, everybody tells you the same things. And um, nice. That's awesome, man. I mean, mm-hmm. the only thing that I'm going to tell you is just, just enjoy it, man. Like, just, mm-hmm. just enjoy the moment. The only thing I'm going to tell you to do is survive. Richie, I will try my best, man. That's the only thing I can tell you. <laughs> But the reason I even asked and the reason I brought it up was because you've been away from your country, do you ever think about how much of that culture and how much of, you know, the things that you remember from, from being as Venezuela, like how much of that do you think you want to pass on to your child and, and you know, your, your future children? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, you know, in, in, in very simple things where, you know, how, how, how are we going to name our kid, right? Um, do we make it, is it, is it going to be a, a name that appeals towards the American side, you know, or is it going to be a name that is, you know, keeps its roots, is it going to be a Latino name, you know, from that very simple decision, right? Um, are we going to just try to keep that culture as much as we can, or are we going to just let him decide? And, um, I, you know, I'm always about let, let them be, you know, free and, and make mistakes and, and let them make all the mistakes they want and learn on their own, right? So, but, but yeah, we, we definitely like, um, to keep a lot of the culture that we were raised with, uh, you know, a lot of the values and especially in family and, and you know, uh, tight bonds with family and things like that. You know, in, in Venezuela, it could be a very similar uh, situation to maybe what, what, you know, your backgrounds are. We, we tend to keep close as much as we can. It's not about, you know, you're 18, you're out of the house, right? So, you know, it's going to be a mixer, a mixture of that. And I think we're going to just let him decide what he wants to do. We're going to try to incorporate a lot of that as much as we can early on. But we're going to let them decide, you know. It's always interesting to try and see what the right balance is. My son is born in, born in the United States, born in Florida. So he's an American, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for him to understand what that means to be an American, like the history and the culture behind of that. But also, too, you know, his heritage technically is also from the Caribbean, right? right. And also to understanding, well, what happened on, on that side of the world, right? And how the politics are different, how the food's different, how the music's different, how you know, the way that people are naturally, like, what is what does that mean, right? And what is that actually even like? You know, we're definitely not trying to force anything. We're definitely not trying to push any agendas. But, you know, trying to find a right balance, for, at least for us, is, has been very important. It's a really tricky thing to do. Absolutely, it is, yeah. 
yeah, I'm, I'm a fair believer, and I and I do this also, and I say this a lot in in like the tech world, for example. You really, you know, you can really understand one language when you re- when you learn another one, right? So in in, right. in talking about cultures, well, you can really appreciate one culture when you're you know when you're involved with another one, or when you learn about another one. So I think that's sure. true, and so having them n- learn about both sides at the same. So. You went to FIU, then you went to FAU, Correct. right? And so, you, again, like you said, you're very much of a traditionally educated computer science person. Mm-hmm. Yep. So with that being your past and your background, how do you feel about a lot of a lot of the, the press and the media that's going on now about everybody should learn how to code and the code schools? and? You know, I, I have um, mixed uh, feelings about that. Yes, on one hand, I, I've always, uh, I would always encourage anybody that wants to learn how to program something, right? Uh, I mean, we, it, there's no doubt that the future is in, you know, automating things. That's, you know, whether you're manufacturing or you're completely in tech or you're in medicine, that is the future. There's no doubt about that. Um, and that has happened, not, not now, it's happened forever, right? Do I think that everybody needs to be in tech? I, I don't think so. It, it, it's, um, it's it's something that I always have this conversation with my my managers as well. It's like, well, we need we want people that can do everything, um, that can you know. What we want is people that can do a little bit of everything. I'm like, well, then you just get you know just that good in everything. Um, for me, it, it's more a matter of I th- I think we need a combination of different uh, different roles. Not everybody needs to be a programmer. Uh, I think we still need to have excellent farming. We still have you know need to have excellent doctors, excellent um, you know teachers. Not everybody needs to be doing the same thing, but everybody needs to be collaborating with each other. I think that's where the key is. And so I don't think we, I, I, I don't agree that we need to have everybody coding. I just think that we need to have everybody talking to each other, right? Um, so that's my view is, is just become ninjas in whatever you do. Be good at whatever you do, like whatever you do, and just do it well, right? And then if you do need to pull in somebody to automate something and somebody that can write some code, then have that conversation, get together and, and make it make it work, right? There's no need for you to be able to be, okay, I'm a decent coder, I'm also a decent, you know, doctor, so I can maybe create some automation here um, around some medical topic, right? I, I don't think that that's the case. I think it's more of a community. Uh, I think people just need to, you know, learn how to reach out to one another and talk, right? Um, so yeah, that, that's my view on that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's almost like computing is the new sexy thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the ubiquity of, of biology, right, it's just mm-hmm. as much there as technology is. There's just as much opportunity in that or other forms of engineering. You know, I think technology is just like the, you know, the media word of the day, right? Like this is what's hot in the news. Absolutely. On top of that, I think when you encourage people and you kind of give them the impression that this is something that's pretty easy and you could pick it up quickly. And I know you understand this, right? Because, you know, you spent years studying, right? Like you didn't, mm-hmm. this is not something you picked up in 12 months kind of thing. Right. When you kind of, when you kind of give that impression that this can happen fairly quickly. You know, you water down the brand. You water down the quality of, of work that people do. And so, to so a certain point, like you can't really get mad at what the result is when that happens, right? You know what I mean? Because it's like that's you, true. you know, you get you get what you created, kind of thing. Yeah, I know exactly. Uh, you reap what you sow, and that's yeah, that's absolutely true. So, Luis, what was your first programming job like? Like, what was what did you do? Yeah, for me, so. Um, Again, I was classically trained, so I went through all of my, you know, introductory to to programming um, courses, right? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call that anything serious. My first serious exposure to it was um, there was this research program at FIU. Um, my advisor, or the a person that I, I developed a very good relationship with, he says, you know, you should really think about joining. 
And like, you know, what's in it for me? He's like, well, you're going to be working with, you know, master's level students and, and PhDs and things like that and, and creating all these, you know, uh, we're going to be doing research and things like that. I'm like, that sounds, that sounds amazing. It was a summer long program. And uh, the tool that we worked on, it's something that he had started a while back and he really wanted to publish some content on. And so we, we took this legacy application that was in .NET and we transformed it into, uh, into, into Java. Um, he wanted to be able to instrument Java applications just as he was doing with .NET applications. He wanted to be able to like, you know, go into the uh, like autonomous computing kind of field where he can, software can self-heal, but he wanted to see, he wanted to see if he can plug in some dynamic behavior at runtime. And it was amazing. Like the thought to me was just, you know, mind blowing at the time. Uh, and so it was super exciting because I got to not only do a lot of Java coding and Java, a lot of JavaScript and things like that, I also got to mess with a lot of like reflection and, you know, um, augmenting APIs via reflection. And so it was super exciting. Uh, I think that was a, my first exposure to a real project. And so tell us again, what do you do at Citrix right now? Like what projects yes. are you working on? So I started with uh, their support organization. We built this large knowledge base site. Um, it was at that time, it was all JSP based and very, some of the old Java way of doing things. Um, and so now I've transitioned that. So it's been almost 10 years from that. Um, and now I'm working as part of the, uh, the cloud engineering team. So a couple of years ago, Citrix made a decision. Well, the cloud is a reality. <laughs> I have to admit, we were kind of late in admitting that. Um, because you know the, you have the Amazons and the Googles and the Netflixes, right? That have um, embraced that concept already for for quite some time. Citrix says, "Well, to stay competitive, we have to be in the cloud," and they just started, you know, growing that team and, and investing in that area. Um, I thought, "Hey, that's that's where I want to be. Um, that's a really good opportunity to be in the forefront of that." And so I, jo I decided to join that team. And so now. Uh, I moved from that support organization into engineering itself. So I'm part of the engineering organization at Citrix. Um, and we are taking our products, our software, and trying to deploy it in the cloud and have our customers use it in the cloud instead of on-prem. What's the difference between me having an application in the cloud and me having one on-premise? Like, what, what's, what benefit do I get out of that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it was the whole um, revolution of, like, SaaS, you know, what, what SaaS means, right? And so... You know, the, the whole idea is that companies can, can come up and, and, and be successful without having to really have um, entire operations teams or entire IT infrastructure, right? Um, in the old days of, of Citrix, you would have to, you know, purchase a license, um, buy a few servers, right? And then get this software and install the appliances on those servers and try to make this work yourself, right? And if you can work, you would go into this knowledge base uh, and you would have to hire some kind of you know, consultant or technical relationship manager or something like that to help you out, right? It was very complicated. Um, Citrix software hasn't, you know, it's not famous for being easy to set up. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's actually a flaw uh, that we have. It's getting better though. And one of the things that we're trying to do to make this better is say, well, what if they don't have to buy any servers or, you know, download or manually set up and create your own data center? What if we just host all this stuff for them? Um, and so that's kind of the shift there. That's kind of the benefit that cloud gives us, g g gives everybody, is the ability to use a resource or a service without you having to do any hosting. And then, well, when that happens and you allow Citrix to control that environment, then you get into situations where, well, now we can scale it to your needs, right? Um, the cloud gives us the opportunity to say, well, you know, I'm giving these constraints so that my software can easily scale. Hey, you can't really, you know, be 
uh, sharing connections and things like that, we're going to kind of restrict that in a sandbox. But now what you get is that your software can just horizontally scale. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give an environment to our customers that can scale to their needs. If they need to provision more of these systems that we can do that for them in a click of a button. Right. And, you know, just listening to you talk about it and hearing how passionate you sound about it, I kind of feel like a lot of that work that you've been doing at Citrix kind of helped inspire some of these books that you've written, right? Like, so I'm looking at you have this book called, you know, Functional Programming in JavaScript, right? Mm -hmm. And you also have RxJS in action. Yes. Right. Like, like how much of that correlates to, to some of the things that you do in work? And like, how many of the lessons that you've gotten from your actual career actually helped you, you know, kind of you know, kind of create the content for these, these books that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it kind of just came about because, and, and it, oddly enough, I started saying that I was classically trained through school and, and usually you're, you're trained in object-oriented design. Like there's just, you know, from the academia point of view, there's nothing else. Um, there's just OOD, right? Um, so you, you, you come in with OOD and, and I've, you know, for, for many years I've been, that's the way to go. Um, I'm going to design everything using inheritance. And that's, that's the right way of doing things. Um, we got into situations where we would build applications um, that, that we, you know, we use inheritance as much as possible with ORMs and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, just it, sometimes we, we ran into situations where just we would have to really, you know, retrofit things and, and make things work because the inheritance model was kind of breaking. Um, so, you know, that, that always felt odd, but, you know, until I started to learn about functional programming, I really didn't see why it felt odd. Um, and then I'm going to say maybe three or four years ago, you know, I start reading about, you know, I like to subscribe to, you know, um, obviously Twitter feeds and things like that. You know, I started reading about functional programming, functional programming, and then Scala uh, languages that come up that embrace those concepts that, you know, I've never done any Haskell or anything like that myself, although I've I've, you know, heard about those and ML and being functional, but it just, it never quite clicked. Things were feeling odd for me in the OO world a bit, you know, some, in some situations we were make we were able to make things work, but some things were just kind of off. Like, well, how, how do I, how would I handle this situation uh, using inheritance? Is there a way, is there a different way? And so that, that kind of happened. And uh, I started to learn about, uh, I think four years ago, I said, well, I think that we learn design patterns and we learn, um, paradigms to make ourselves better to improve like i said before i think you really should know something else before you can really be good at you know like you should really learn b before you can really say you're good at a in other words for me to be able to learn one language i think it's best to learn a, uh, learn another one and then you can compare and contrast to see why this one is strong why it's why it's weak so i kind of follow that same philosophy and i say well i, I need to learn functional programming because then i will never really appreciate what I'm trying to do with object-oriented design. Um, so I started to learn about that. And uh, JavaScript was also kind of really changing from being a, a little scripter language for, okay, there, here's a button click. I want to add an event listener and make things work. It was really changing from that to becoming more enterprise class, more like I'm building entire apps using JavaScript kind of thing. Uh, at least for me, I, you know, I, I came from more of a back-end side going into you know, a lot of front-end stuff. Um, and I'm like, well, this this functional stuff sounds really cool. Um, JavaScript, you know, has all these, you know, higher order functions and all that, that I can, man, that's like the basis, the foundation for all this stuff. Um, and so, 
yeah, I started to combine the two and I said, you know what? And, you know, I, I had learned all these lessons from work of things that just didn't feel right. And I, you know, the reason to do something about it, right? Um, the whole idea about try catching everywhere. I, I just, to me, that just always, it always looked weird that I always had to try catch and I had nested try catches. I'm like, or maybe I'm, you know, I, in line two, I'm issuing a statement that I have a catch like a line 100. Like, what is that all about? You know, how, Your whole how is that? Is one big try catch. Yes, exactly. Yeah, one big try catch. Like, how is this just supposed to be the right thing? And and then when you learn about maybe you, you know, you remove exceptions from your language and you try to, you know, reify errors into an object. Well, here's a nullable type. I'm like, hey, that's that's interesting. Instead of, you know, catching for null, why don't, you know, why don't I just return a type that says, well, hey, you have an error or you have a success, right? And then I'm like, well, that's that's super interesting. So that means I don't have to, one, check for null, and I don't have to worry about try-catches anymore. And that, to me, that's just amazing, right? Uh, I, I had uh, watched a video from Uncle Bob um, that he says, well, all the paradigms are designed to remove something. Um, object-oriented design removes, you know, function pointers from C. Um, modular programming removes, like, limitless files because now everything is in modules, right? And he says functional programming removes immutability and removes um, uh, the, the need for you to have, you know, that... Uh, level of um, uh, side effects, you know, where, where, you know, error handling is cl clearly a side effect. Um, paradigms are designed to remove something. And so I always felt that, oh, yeah, structured programming removes a go-to, right, for example. Um, so I always felt that, you know, it's, it was important to learn about those, to see what else you can remove from your daily life that will make your life easier. Um, and so this it came about, you know, like I said, four years ago. And I'm like, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. I want to do something different. I've always written because through school I was in research and I, I wrote, you know, papers and, and published stuff, um, very small stuff, but some stuff got published. And I'm like, I, I want to write a book. Um, I, that's what I want to do. At, at the time, um, the, the, here's the funny thing. At the time, Dart was really like up and coming. Um, Google was, you know, pushing Dart very heavily. Uh, I was learning about functional programming and I'm like, I'm doing the research in the ecosystem. I'm like, there's no functional programming in Dart book whatsoever. Uh, Dart is this web language that I was trying to play with just to get an idea, you know, about what it was. And and so I write a proposal. I write a proposal that includes using Dart as a, you know, functionally in the web um, as something that could be pretty new, right? you know, something new to introduce to the community and, 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 and contribute that way. Um, and I guess I just came in in some kind of, some kind of the, the right time uh, because, um, coincidentally, you know, uh, uh, Manning Publishing, uh, uh, that's the, the publisher that I've worked with, uh, they were actually looking for a functional programming in JavaScript book. They thought Dart was kind of a, a question mark back then. Um, and it still is, I think. Um, it's, it's not a language that's, that's gaining a lot of traction. It's getting some traction, but not, not, not as much. And they're like, hey, you know what? This is all this web stuff is really nice. And I know Dart is a lot like JavaScript in many ways. How do you feel like, you know, how do you feel about writing functional programming in JavaScript? And let's talk about that. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. Um, I had done JavaScript for many years and I, I'm learning functional on this side. And so combining those two, right, made sense. Um, and that's how, how, that's how all this stuff started. It started from saying, I think, oh, you know, oh, oh, uh, has some, you know, some situations where I can do something differently. Um, to my, my desire to give back and contribute something and write something that I can be proud of, um, write something that I can maybe publish someday. Um, and I just said, you know, I've, I've read all the Manning, like, in-action books and things like that. I very, was very familiar with that. I like I liked reading books. I like collecting books. Um, 
And so I just put those two together and I said, you know what, I can make this work. Let's write a proposal. Um, and I submitted it to Manning and, and, you know, they, they embraced it pretty well. And I had a lot of conversations about how we can develop that idea. The, the most challenging part of writing a book is, is that you're upfront. You need to come up with a table of contents that you're going to write about in a year. Right. And that to me is just mind bending. Like how can you predict, you know, exactly what you're going to be writing about a year from now? Um, because a book, it takes, it's that timeline about, you know, you started, you know, you started and you end in about 10 months and then there's some, there's a lot of review process that happens. Um, right. And not only that, but technology changes so quickly. Yes, exactly. Right? That's when you're talking about JavaScript and, and programming and frameworks and the cloud. And by the time two months passes by, right, they were on different versions. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's true. That's absolutely true. And that's something that, that they caution you with. Uh, so you have this interview um, that they say, look, um, this process is challenging. Um, it's going to demand a lot of your time. And listen, this stuff is always changing. So you're going to have to keep up, right? Or make adjustments, you know, mid, mid, midway through it, right? Um, so some of those things you're kind of prepped for and you have to be, you know, very mindful of, right? And, and being that we're in this industry, right? It's something that we're, you know, we're used to <laughs> things like, okay, V2 just came out. Crap, I just learned V1. Like, you know, seriously. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, that happened. You know, it was in the, in the crux of um, JavaScript changing from ES5 to ES6. And so ES6 came in with a lot of, you know, all these concepts called uh, the promises and, and constant keywords being standard and a bunch of other stuff and classes coming in. And, and so I, you know, midstream, I had to kind of just update that stuff and update my train of thought update my my you know the, the running examples that I had all to conform to that new standard and, and what that means for a developer right so I had to do a lot of that adjustment myself um, but you know everything worked out and we got that published uh, this year in July um, and uh, the, the way that it, it's you know it all so happens so organically um, the way that that you know functional programming in JavaScript ends is with well it, you know going back to the whole cloud um, uh, cloud concept is one, one of the big things in, in designing remote uh, distributed systems or designing any modern system is the whole notion about the reactive paradigm. So your, your, your system always has to be resilient, always has to be fault tolerant, and you need to be able to scale, right? Those are some of the three principles of that reactive sort of manifesto, um, which very much applies to any infrastructure, right? Cloud or not, but it's a lot in cloud because of the, you know, the scaling and all that stuff that happens. And so oddly enough, all that is just kind of, you know, you know, uh, going around in my head. It's just kind of in circles, right? And, and functional programming in JavaScript is, is a core functional book, but obviously using JavaScript to teach it, right? Even though JavaScript is not a functional language, it can be, you know, you can do functional things, right? But that book ends, the last chapter is applications of functional programming to, you know, um, to solve like real world tasks. And one of the things that we do in JavaScript a lot is uh, asynchronous, right? You, you know, a button is clicked and something else happens, but you can't block the browser. Things happen asynchronously, right? Everything happens asynchronous. Ajax calls. Everything is asynchronous. And Rx, you know, this, this, this project called Rx, the whole umbrella of Rx, which started in .NET and just kind of got ported over to Python, Java, you know, JavaScript, PHP, and other ones, um, is all about dealing with asynchronous behavior. I'm like, let me check this project out. And it, it happens that if you do it using functional design, functional principles, 
then you mix the two and you get this thing called FRP, functional reactive programming. And I'm like, this is, this is amazing, right? So chap the, the, the last chapter of functional programming ends with FRP, um, which it, it's really awesome because I was able to segue into then RxJS in action. Um, so really, you know, RxJS in action almost picks up where functional programming left off. Um, and then, so it was important for somebody coming into Rx to understand functional. At least that's what I believe, right? And so I teach functional programming in that book as well, and then move the you know move the the reader into reactive and into uh, uh, the reactive extensions project. And so yeah, it was so organically, uh, you know, how things happen where you know the books just kind of connect with each other. Sure, it's almost like after you've gotten through this one, you can kind of roll into the next one, so to speak. Yeah, so they yeah. also complement each other very well. They complement each other very well, and we try to make it so that you, you know it, you don't need it as a prereq per se. That you can actually pick up you know what you need from the RX point of view and, and understand what we mean by uh, unidirectional flow or using monads to 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 implement error handling instead of having to throw exceptions everywhere. So and yeah, you're right. So one, one thing just kind of connects, and that that last chapter connects the two books together. The funny thing is that we're getting, I'm getting approved. Uh, we're in the process of, of drafting proposals for getting Redux in action, right? And so that... Oh, nice. Very cool. Yeah, that's probably going to happen starting next year. And we're going to start, um, let's see if, if everything goes through, right? Uh, um, we're going to start writing that book. So it kind of sounds like you're just on a roll, man. Like you're kind of just <laughs> knocking out book after book after book after book after book. Like you really, obviously, are not only just interested and passionate about the, the subject matter, but you actually... Sounds like you enjoy creating these books and, and teaching people how these how these things actually work. So if I'm supposed to pick up this book, who is the target audience for these books that you're writing? Like, mm -hmm. Can I give these to college students? Can I can I give high school kids to read them? Mm -hmm. Are they for professional developers and architects? Like yes, and and we actually we actually have to fill out a very detailed form with that information before we do something because obviously the the publishers want to make sure that we cover audience right that that there's market for it um, in a way and so I would say that I was asked a very interesting question at the beginning where it just completely blew me away and the question was this. If I didn't know any object-oriented design, would I be able to pick up functional and would that be easier? In other words, for somebody that doesn't have any bias, can they just pick up functional programming and just avoid all that stuff and just pick it up and maybe that's a more, a more natural thing to pick up? And it just, it just completely blew my mind. Like I didn't know how to answer that because coming to what we were talking about before, I was classically trained, right? And I, I did the shift sort of per se, right, from OO to FP. And so I, I just wasn't able to answer that. I said, I, I don't know if somebody not learning anything previously, like not having the, the mindset of, of doing things using objects and classes and inheritance and polymorphism, I don't know if functional programming will be a more organic and natural thing to do. I couldn't answer that. I had no idea. So to, to your question, you know, I'm I, I pretty much certain that I think some level of professional experience is necessary, although I think that a book like Functional Programming in JavaScript, though, uh, covers it from very introductory phases to, you know, here, here's what the problem is, right? Here's how we, here's how this compares to object-oriented design, which you've probably been learning about already. And now here's how you do things, right, with specific uh, scenarios, specific code samples. So a book like Functional Programming in JavaScript, uh, that one can be picked up by anybody who really, they're familiar with JavaScript, right? We don't, 
We don't teach the actual language in the book. We just teach the paradigm. But the, the, the paradigm concepts can be implemented with anything. I mean, if you can read a C-like language, then you can understand functional programming in JavaScript without a problem. You know, I was just thinking, since you went to, to FIU, and actually I was just at FIU the other day for, um, for our event that we're having, how cool would it be to have one of your books be the textbook for a functional programming class at the school that you went to? That would be... That would be amazing, actually. Um, don't, would, you know, I haven't, cool. I'll be uh, lying to you if I didn't say that I thought about it. So, you know, having graduated from the computer science department uh, or the computer science school, I, I received an email very long ago, but it was the idea of, you know, seeking out alumni that would be interested in, in doing a special topics course for the, you know, computer science uh, program. And I don't know if you're aware of these special topics course like a, a teacher would go in and say well we're going to learn about web services for example not really part of the curriculum you know it's a special topics course and um, yeah, for that particular semester we're going to offer this particular exactly topic exactly kind of thing. and it's not something that would be part of like you know year over year curriculum it would just be that that one term and It'd i thought like an elective or something yeah precisely and i, and I thought well yeah i mean a functional programming uh um that would be an, a, a superb topic to put as part of the curriculum even you know you know, you, you, you give the, the student the, the perception and the, the learning and the teaching of object-oriented design, then you have this class to kind of just compare and contrast the two, and, and that just gives you a lot more perspective and things. Um, and I, I joined that part of the Q&A and the, and the, the question and the, the problem-solving and, 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 you know, that, that part of the, the, the teaching aspect of it as well. Um, sure. I enjoy that a lot, and, yeah, I thought about it. I know it's a lot of work, and I know that you have to do right by your students that you have to really, you know, prepare and do everything correctly. Um, so th and that's the only reason why I'm like, well, you know, I'm going through other stuff right now. If I have some time, I'm definitely going to consider that. So says I've, I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely after the baby, right? <laughs> For <laughs> when sure. When you have some, For some sure, more, more after the baby. Time. Otherwise, yeah, my wife will kill me if I don't put you know, <laughs> priorities and have the right priorities in there. And then you also are part of the MEP program, right? The Manning, the Manning Early Access Program. So they can also do that with you too? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. So every, yeah. So all these books, you know, the the FP and JavaScript book is already available on Amazon and all that um, access through any, you know, any, anybody's preferable way, even it's through Manning or through Amazon. The, the, the RxJS in action is still in MEEP. And so that's an early access only available through the publisher. Um, and that works really cool because it gives the community an opportunity to say, hey, there's something here that's not very clear. Can you guys expand on that, right? Uh, so the, the, the Manning Early Access Program is you, you, you pay for the book, you know, uh, if you want just the e-form, you only get the e-form. If you want the paperback, then what Manning does is it sends you all the chapters, right, uh, in PDF form or e-mobile or something like that. Um, and you have a forum site that you can actually log in and, and, and just comment, and we're there to respond. And it's, a, it's this community-driven thing. Um, uh, and so if something is not clear, we'll actually take the time and, and fix, you know, fix things. And we get a lot of uh, feedback from there, um, aside from the extensive review process and technical proofreading and technical editing that happens already. Um, we get a lot of feedback through that. And so the Manning Early Access Program gives the, the reader a chance to do that. And then at the end, when everything is done, they'll get their paperback book, right? Uh, when everything is printed out, they'll get the, the physical hard copy. So, so Louis, we're going to start wrapping up, but before we do, I kind of just wanted to ask you, you know, for our listeners that are trying to, you know, kind of get in contact with you, they want to know about your books, you want to know what you're up to, yeah. you know, what's the best way they could reach you? Like, do you have social media accounts, your blogs, anything like that that people could use to kind of see what's going on with you? 
Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, so I, I, I publish a lot in Medium, uh, medium.com. That's kind of the blog. And um, there's a FQDN that uh, I think it's like uh, dot net. Uh, yeah, .net takes you to that blogging site. Um, but yeah, via Twitter. So um, we can, I guess, uh, put in the show notes. Um, uh, via Twitter is the best uh, because it gives me a chance to, you know, I get I get answers there and I publish uh, chapter updates there. I publish uh, things that I think are, you know, can be done better or what I'm going to be writing about next. Uh, what I, you know, you know, it, it, I use I use that. I use Twitter for really for the, the, the whole, you know, tech side, the whole work um, part of my life. Right. Um, I, I hate, you know, to be talking about other stuff like, you know, politics or, or jokes and things like that. I, I really just use it for that. And, and, and uh, readers have really, you know, approached me a lot through via Twitter uh, asking questions. Hey, you know, is this going to be in this book? Is, uh, are you guys thinking about writing this or, Hey, you guys, you know, even, you know, I've had stuff where it's, Hey, I think this code is wrong here um, because, you know, well, make mistakes and things like that, that, that would even bypass, you know, all the levels of editing that it, that it goes through. I mean, some things just, you know, pass by. Um, so I have people reach, reach out via Twitter saying, Hey, you know, I'm going to check out this conference or, you know, are you going to this conference? Hey, you have a mistake here in this page. You have things like that. Can you fix this? And I've actually been very active on responding and, 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 you know, getting all that feedback into my writing as well. So, so Twitter for me is the best, the best approach. We'd like to thank Lewis for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have Kairos founder, Brian Bracken. I hope that's how he says his name, Bracken or Bracken. I'm just going to call him Gord Bracken. Sounds good to me. Bracken, I don't know Bracken, anything about Bracken, it. Bracken, 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 Bracken. All right, that's all I got to say about that. Bye. Bye. We want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego.
Hey man, that's popularity rules, right? We've always known it as a popularity contest, you know what I mean? It's become more of a popularity contest and less of a, you know, an intellectual conversation. Can we reanimate Lincoln? Can we bring, bring him right? <laughs> let's take him out the stasis pod, man. Let's 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 do this thing the yeah, right that's way. Right. <laughs> we have his DNA. We can revive him. Right. Exactly. All right. Outros. 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 Outro. 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 <clears throat> Oh, let me scroll this thing. Oh, and um, so oh, what's his name? What is his name? Malcolm Gladwell. He has a good podcast too. It's called Revisionist History. What's his name? Malcolm who? Malcolm Gladwell. He's Malcolm. written um, books like David and Goliath. Um, not the uh, Outliers. He wrote. He wrote uh, Blink. Outliers was good. Outliers was stupid good. Yeah? Nice. Yeah. I don't think I've read that one. I don't think I've read about that one, actually. Uh, they're, they're mainly like uh, business kind of kind of e-books. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Outliers, Blink, The Tipping Point. Yeah. The Tipping Point was the one I read first. I'm like, oh, this is good. Right. Yeah, the tipping point was really good, uh, but it's it's more along it's more sociology I think that he writes than um, than business. But of course, business people just suck that stuff up. Right. Gotcha. All right, man. Let's knock out this outro. Go for it. Damn it! This thing moved again. We'd like to thank Lewis for being a guest on the show. 